Welcome to Open Minds UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with uh, Martin Allwet Willis. <laughs> yes, uh, and freezing, don't forget. Wet yeah. and freezing, which is bad. This isn't like you're having a wet t-shirt, a one-man wet t-shirt comp, you know, contest over there, which no, probably... No, lose. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to say a lot of people were probably thinking, "Wow, ooh, that's that's enticing." But uh but no, this was uh not scheduled. Uh no audience and uh I guess yeah. it's some roof leaking that uh has not been good, yeah. huh? Yeah, pipes broke. Uh we had we had a cold snap here. It got way below 0. I think like 5 or 7 degrees below 0. And then the next day it was 40-something degrees, and I walked into my guest house, and it was pouring from the ceiling down to the floor. Everything's ruined. It's a, yeah. it's a mess. Ugh. That's the other benefit of living somewhere where there isn't snow is that, you, you know, all of these mm-hmm. other – there's so many different things that you have to deal with when you're dealing with snow, uh, frozen pipes and breaking pipes, especially when people go on vacation uh, like yeah. they will be doing. So be careful. You know, be sure – that I remember, you know, from Colorado. Be sure to have one of your faucets dripping um, so right. there's water movement yeah. so it doesn't freeze, uh, all that stuff. I have to actually hire someone when I'm coming out there to the uh, UFO Congress. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to hire someone to uh, watch my house. Really? Here. Oh, my The gosh. only way I can do it. Wow. Yeah. Holy very moly. Needy. It's a very needy house. <laughs> yeah, it's a needy house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so uh well I hope you get that resolved. I, I'm uh, I'm sorry for your troubles there. Yeah. I got insurance. Yeah, that's good. Well, um my guest for the day is Paul Dean yet again. Uh we've seen uh and heard quite a bit from him uh on our different open minds specials and interviews and things like that. But that's just because he's doing some great stuff. And, uh, you know, last time we talked and, and we've talked with others about how NORAD definitely had to have had some UFO files. However, they've continued to ne- deny that they have these files. Well, Paul mm. has found some some files that show that, yes, indeed, they have some UFO files. So, unfortunately, it's another example of NORAD lying so we're going to be talking about, uh, well, another example of another government organization lying about UFOs. So we'll talk to Paul about that. Mm. We're also going to get more insight in where is he getting these files, you know? Um, how come, uh, you know, others haven't seen them? And I think it's it's very telling uh, why these researchers, you know, haven't uh, a lot of them come forward or at least, you know, been more – Flamboyant, if that's the best word, about getting their information out there. And uh, so it's a great discussion. 
Uh, he's in Australia, and unfortunately, I always have a bit of problem talking with him. So the the sound quality is a little uh, not as great as you know, like you and I talking right now, where it sounds like we're in the room. Even when you talk to people in the UK, it's really good. So uh, unfortunately, I've had a, a bit of issue, but uh, still, it, it's a great talk. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, you know, Australia has something like three megabytes per second for one of their high that's their high speed internet and oh, really? uh yeah they're they're really they really do have issues i had uh, my guest uh, uh last week uh the week before that is was from australia there's always issues and but they are uh planning on well they're at least talking about uh redoing their system down there but mm-hmm. uh yeah you know i think uh we don't rate as the highest uh and best internet but um but other countries like you just mentioned uh seem to have uh, have their game, you know, when it comes to this. Right. So, so yeah. So it's going to be a good talk. Um, I mentioned a little bit of this last night. Uh, did you even know this? Actually, early this morning, about twelve hours ago, I was on Coast to Coast with George Knapp. Oh no, I haven't heard that yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll listen to it. Great. Yeah. So yeah. about um, my time, it's two p.m. here now. But uh, this was at uh, 2 a.m. my time. It was 1 to, to 3 a.m. But it was a lot of fun. It was a year in review. Uh, but we get did get to, to some of this stuff Paul Dean talks about. And he was like, wow, I need to talk to this guy. And, and he does. Uh, that would be a great show uh, if uh, George Knapp had him on. And it's a gr- it's always yeah. a great honor to talk to George because he's he's just one of my heroes. And, you know, yeah. we even mentioned some of these news items uh, the the big ones for the year had to do with him and and his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so really fun stuff. So check that out on Coast to Coast. You can go. Uh, some of you probably already subscribed to their archives, but uh, and then sometimes the shows pop up on YouTube. They do a lot. Yeah, I think they always do. Actually, yeah, but... under conflict, Coast to Coast AM conflict. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Every every day, taken taken down a lot, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I don't know that we should share that. Do you think we should? No, I think no, I think uh, I'm really sorry. You probably ought to edit that out. Yeah, because you we don't want to yeah. be um, yeah going that's, going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really sorry. You have to yeah. actually listen and edit. But sorry about that. Oh jeez, yeah. wow. We're in yeah, trouble. I would I would edit it all out. Seeing it on YouTube, the whole thing maybe. Yeah, edit out YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm not going to edit any of this. <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm not going to. Oh, no. That'll be my Christmas treat to you. Thank so, you. Um, but, yeah, so don't go do that. Listen, go subscribe and uh, listen that way. So, uh, But uh, speaking of Christmas, I wanted to share with you, because I don't know that it's been laid out, and maybe it has, and you can tell me if it has, but the ufology Christmas story. Hmm. Because, you know, there's a lot of mythologies when it comes to UFOs. Um, Ancient Aliens kind of uh, explains a lot of stuff in, in their own way and what they believe may have happened in the past. And, you know, there's this string. You, you always hear people talk about it uh, in the uh, UFO world. So I'm just going to kind of tell the story. And it would be nice if we had some kind of music but I don't prepare that Christmassy uh-huh. about oh the night of Christmas. So you, do you want to hear it? I do. Do you want me to 
to hum the uh, uh, Christmas song or something in the background? Well, nah, that's okay. I guess if you really <laughs> get, you really feel the move to do so, um, you can try that. But uh, that I may edit out. Okay. <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> So this is a story, and you've probably heard this idea, and I think my, uh, unfortunately, maybe even my girlfriend subscribes to this story, which is, uh, and we tease her about it, but um, the whole idea that what happened, you know, years ago, many, 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 many years ago, 2000 or whatever years ago, uh, on Christmas Eve, the night of Christmas Eve into Christmas morning, was that, you know, Mary... And Joseph, are, she's pregnant, but she doesn't know how, so she was, like, abducted and impregnated. And so uh, that must have happened, I'm assuming, you know, not, who knows how long a hybrid alien needs to take to um, to, to be born. But uh, whatever night that it was conceived, then she was ready to have the baby. So they look, and, and the aliens, of course, were interested in their hybrid baby, so they had a UFO following Mary and Joseph. Mm. Uh huh. And that's so the star, as they were yeah. looking for somewhere to have the baby, you know. And we, the story of where they eventually found uh, uh, this this barn and everything. Um, and there were ufologists at that time. There, there really because there's always been people interested in paranormal and all kind of weird things going around. And uh, so it was these three ufologists who were sky watching and looking for UFOs when they saw this UFO. And they were like, oh, we need to go follow and uh, see what's going on. What's this UFO doing? And these were, you know, what have become the three wise men. But this is this is what I, I my theory here is that actually their names were Frank Murray and the other one was a blonde guy, so his his nickname was Goldie. There was no Stanton. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Stanton. Uh, I know Stanton's uh, up there in age, but uh, he was not born yet, two thousand years okay. ago. Um, that I'm aware of. He could be some sort of immortal um, hybrid himself, but uh, we'll uh, we'll ask him at the Congress. He'll be there at the UFO Congress. Uh, I just spoke to him the other day. He's such a fun person to talk to but anyway he, he was, really is yeah he was not there so of course he these guys show up because they follow the ufo and they're like wow you know we're gonna get to watch this hybrid alien baby being born and of course that hybrid alien baby was was jesus christ how about that you've heard i'm sure you've heard people huh. hypothesize about jesus being an alien well i've heard of you know i've heard of a lot of bibles alien story things yeah. but uh yeah so that's a new story uh, of christmas and as people get into this this story will become more predominant and uh, i figured i would lay it down first maybe we can even get credit for um you know being the first ones to kind of uh, break break the news yeah wow. and so do you get it with the frank and the murray that they, they in the you know they're at later on they're thinking about telling the story and we're like we can't tell people these guys were named frank and murray and some dorky you know ufo researchers so let's say they were wise men you know and they were dressed up like kings because for some reason they're dressed up like kings and that and uh and the fables and on the nativities and stuff and uh mm. and instead of you know frank murray and gold goldie they they brought the gifts of frankincense because that sounds fancier 
and Murr. Wow. And uh, wasn't Gold the third one, or do I have that mixed up? Yeah, I, I'm not up on that on that story. So yeah, you, so you, there you go. You, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm just uh, beside myself. Really? really? Oh yeah. Oh, it's affected you that strongly, huh? Yeah. This thing wow. has legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Deck. Well, uh, maybe thousands of years. In a thousand years, this could be the story. The nativity will be like this, you know. Above, they'll have like a hovering UFO because there, or a, high, a hologram UFO floating above the nativity, and um, yeah, it's wow. going to be the future is going to be fascinating. Wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. There we go. You heard it here first, yep. people. All right. <laughs> yep. You can you can sit back. I remember in 2016, you know, in in 80 years, the people are really young now. Uh, the youngest people who may be listening, telling their grandkids about. I remember, you know, we used to not have this UFO over our nativities like you kids do now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Changing the world, man. Changing wow. the world, but. Uh, before we move on, that's just some stuff for our, our Christmas special. That was just a Christmas treat for the listeners there. Uh, but uh, I guess unless you have a Christmas special treat, maybe we should move on to the UFO news. Yeah, I came without one uh, empty-handed, so let's mm-hmm. do the news. Okay, yeah. Let's go for it. Unless you really want to sing, and you're if you're dying to sing. No, I really... You don't okay. want to hear that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's your treat to us, then, is not singing. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank All you. All right. Well, I'm going to start the news. And okay. uh, this one is fun because of the title right off the bat. Roswell UFO drops in front of witness vehicle. <clears throat> now, this happened um, This happened back in October, on October 24th of this year. A New Mexico witness at Roswell, reported a late-night encounter with a silent triangle-shaped UFO just 20 feet ahead. And the thing actually, whatever it was, hovered over their truck as well. And it was a written by, reported by a female witness, and it's case number 80348, and this was posted by Roger Marsh a couple of days ago. When and was that sighting witness, again? It was October 24th okay. of this year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she basically said after eating and well after sunset, we headed back on the main road out of town and stopping at a red light behind a couple of cars in our truck with vehicles all around us. We both noticed and said out loud that the object was coming straight toward us from the dark sky. And the two had recently seen other lights. But in the weeks prior, um, she says we had seen other lights in the sky around Albuquerque and thought that this was going to be the same, but nope. In comparison, um, this object was, uh, this one was huge in comparison to the faraway sightings they had before. And uh, did, they didn't have time, or she didn't even think to take out the camera, and I totally understand that. That uh, That is uh, exactly, everyone wants to see what's going on. And uh, the camera a lot of times is the last thing on your mind. The object had lights on all ends, the front or back, she doesn't know which is which, was more triangular with bright white lights. The back or front, again, which was closest to us, was more rounded, but still triangular, and it had bright red, green, and blue light shining down. It was larger than our truck, 
appeared to be solid and a solid object and appeared out of nowhere coming straight toward us. So when it went over the truck, she peeked out the back window to um, see if she could see it like go away and because uh, they had to move away from the, the light had turned green. So they started moving. And so she turned around and looked and there was nothing there, which is uh, which is kind of bizarre. Um, so she also said that she felt uh, this is another quote. I felt numb. Like, um, did that just really happen? And where did the thing go? And in the moment, she just wondered what was going on. And she thought that um, her husband's account was just very much like hers. The whole thing happened in about five to seven seconds. And uh, so this was investigated oh, wow. by the uh, MUFON state director, Donald Burleson, and he uh, closed the case as an unknown. Hmm. Interesting, though, huh? Right yeah, in Roswell. It is, it is interesting. Yeah, another Roswell sighting. Um, uh, interesting enough, too. Well, it'll be, what, the the 50th, 70th uh, anniversary that's 60, right. 70 uh, this summer. So um, I'll be there speaking and stuff. But uh, the newspapers doing more UFO stuff. I guess they're starting a UFO podcast, uh, the Roswell newspaper out there. And it's the old Roswell hmm. Daily Record, the one, you know, that uh, had was famous for having the front page about the UFOs and stuff. So um, that is exciting. People always get excited when something happens in Roswell. Now, the actual event happened in 1947, about 60 miles, wasn't it? Something like that. But there's so much uh, open land out there and and hard to get to. But it was you, – I know you've been to the site, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have been to the yeah. site, and uh, it's really cool. But you're right. It is out of town. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's the, they call it the Roswell incident. Yeah. Well, so Roswell is the nearest big town to the – where the incident essentially yeah yeah and it's yeah. in the middle of nowhere right yeah it's about two hours from albuquerque so but now this is great they have flights that fly into roswell so um that's cool. really wow. so last year i got to fly in didn't have to make that huge long drive and uh so that's really nice yeah wow how about that so this is kind of cool because there was another and this is a christmas triangle ufo story which is always nice um in reno on december 2nd there was also a triangle ufo uh scene it was 6 50 p.m and this was on december 2nd it's a christmas story because the family was unloading a christmas tree when they spotted it um this guy says he was unloading when his son looked up and said hey guys what's that so he and his son and his daughter looked up and they saw this slow-moving uh, craft, I mean, that they felt was triangular in shape. Now, often, you know, uh, airplanes are at night are mistaken for a triangular craft because the lights are in a triangular formation often. Mm -hmm. However, these guys feel that the they saw the blackness of the craft and the edges of it. They felt it was only 100 or 300 feet high, and it mo moved kind of slowly and steadily um, in a particular direction. They even said it looked like the Phoenix Lights in Arizona, so they were familiar with that sighting. Mm. Um, this one was also 
closed as an unknown. Uh, it was investigated by uh, the Nevada MUFON Assistant State Director, Sandra Countess. Um, so another triangular UFO. Wow. Yeah. Not too many of the old-fashioned discs, you know? Well, yeah, not not many of the discs, and uh, but and again, like we always talk about, the triangular sighting seemed to be the lowest and the most exciting. Uh, some guy called in on coast to coast last night, and he recounted his own triangle uh, UFO uh, sighting. So I don't know, maybe the triangles are going to come home for Christmas. <laughs> it could be. Could wow. be. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Any more UFO news, my friend? No, but I see that you have uh, a nice, uh, really great uh, posting up on uh, on Open Minds, and that's the UFO photographs. It's actually one photograph of airborne sighting Tucson to Mexico City, and this happened back in 1965. Yeah, and what this a, is what an mm-hmm. image that is. Yeah, talk about the uh, large metallic discs. That's what this was. Um, Mm -hmm. It was seen in 1965, August, by an American businessman who was on a passenger flight from Mexico City to Tucson, and uh, he spotted this large object. Now, um, of course, what's great about these sightings that we post uh, on these videos that our our video guy, uh, Michael Klein, puts together, these are from our archives. We've gotten these from... um, a gentleman who was in the Air Force for years and collected UFO information for decades, and essentially all of the best photographs he would try to get copies of and then find out the story. Some were sent to him as well, but he would try to, to figure out, you know, what was it that people saw or were claiming. And some of these photographs are just spectacular. They're so strange and interesting and this is one of them so and what's interesting on these photos is they seem so credible the witnesses and the photos I think are more significant in that you know this is before Photoshop so Mm -hmm. yeah this is another great video we have this up for free on YouTube what is also fun on these videos is we embed them as videos on Facebook and Twitter so if you're a tweeter, hmm. you know, it's fun to get videos that you can play right there on your, your Twitter. Um, and then in Facebook, you know, you can play them right there uh, in your Facebook. I remember YouTube used to play right in the Facebook post, but it doesn't anymore. you got to click the link and it takes you to YouTube. So there's multiple hmm. ways we allow people to be able to see them so they can uh, get this information and Share in the excitement of these old photos. And many of these old photos have disc-shaped craft. Um, you know, that, like we talked about, how that seemed to be more predominant back in the day. So, um, right. who knows what the heck, huh? What the heck? The new models are triangular, I guess. Yeah, yeah. the new wow. craft. So you can tweet this off to Trump if you wanted to. See what he has to say about it. I could, uh, but I don't know if I'd want to. He seems to get upset often, um, and I don't want to be the focus of any ire. I know. He might nuke the aliens. You never know. Yeah, That is true. always a danger, too, uh, and I don't think we should uh, necessarily show any aggression towards them. I don't think so. At this point. Right. Let's get some more information first. Speaking of which, because it's going to be a couple of weeks till we talk again, 
Um, and the holidays are always big for movies. There's a couple movies mm. along this vein. Arrival. Did you say you saw that yet? I did. It was great. Yeah, really it's good great. And it's about this topic. What do we do if, if we talk to – we find some aliens or something? And, and it's a real thoughtful um, kind of program. And yeah. then I haven't seen yet the new Star Wars, which is, of course, about fighting aliens uh, to the death. And, um, you know, it, it's – but that also I'm getting good reviews on, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm going to see it on Wednesday with my son. Cool. And by the way, my son's not into UFOs at all, but mm -hmm. he watched Arrival with me and it had him thinking for three or four days. He would, uh, you know, uh, call me or, or write me uh, a comment that he got out of a movie. It's really, it's really, really a great movie. I highly recommend it. I agree. I think it's great. And then um, I get to go watch Passengers tonight, which is exciting. So. You may – I think I've mentioned it, um, the Passengers movie. I was able to speak with the set designer and the editor who also edited some Star Trek and Star Wars movies and uh, interviewed them and post those on Huffington Post. And so they're letting me go to a special press screener tonight. So I'm going to get an early preview of that movie. That one doesn't have aliens as far as I know. It may have a trick ending or something like that. But, oh, this uh, is the one where they're in suspended animation, and yeah. then they wake up. They wake yeah. up early. Two yeah, yeah. Oh, wake I got early. That. Yeah, that looks great. So, um, <laughs> it looks like a really good movie. I'm really excited about it. And the people I interviewed were so nice, and it was so fun talking to them. So, you can go find those on my Facebook posts of those, or or Google me on uh, uh, and put Alejandro Rojas Huffington post and. You'll find all my Huffington Post posts there too. Uh, I would, you know, please do read them because these guys were fun to talk to and they had some interesting insight and uh, and the movie looks wonderful. Yes, yeah, I'm going to watch that one for sure. Yeah, so next time we talk, which probably won't be for a couple of weeks, I'll let you know how, how the movie was. Excellent, sounds good. All righty, so uh, if that's it for news. That's it. Then you have a wonderful Christmas, my friend, and don't forget to share the Christmas story with your family around the table, um, you know, start or around somewhere. the fire, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you, and I'm sure they're, especially your son, it sounds like, will appreciate that. I think so, and my uh, my robot wants to say something to you. Oh, well, your robot, okay. Alejandro and listeners, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, Alejandro and listeners. Ho, yeah, ho. I heard it. Merry Christmas, Alejandro, oh, and uh, listeners. Jeez. Anyway, Merry ho, Christmas, ho, ho. everyone. Yeah, I didn't yes. know you had a robot. That's really neat. Oh, yeah. but You'll uh, have to yeah. invite her on the show. We can ask her about uh, UFOs. Yeah, she's got quite an English accent. Uh, yeah. Falling in love, yeah. Oh, geez, yep. Oh, well. Well. Well, All right, on that note, uh, yeah, no, let's uh, go ahead and talk to Paul Dean. I am very happy to welcome back to the show our friend in Australia, Paul Dean. Hello. Hi, how's it going, Alandro? Doing very well. Uh, very excited to talk to you again. And some of your recent uh, research has been making some buzz online. And uh, it's kind of perfect because just to catch people up, you know, last time we talked about uh, on the podcast and on our UFO magazine – 
about the Air Force reporting uh, of UFOs and how they used the service system, and then they they have used OPREP three reporting, uh, just these different yep. reporting, but that. You know, NORAD, including to you, has denied having UFO files. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't stop with service reporting and OPREP 3 reporting um, from the 70s and 80s and so on. Um, it, it is really extraordinary what they've said in public. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of lay it out. Um, since the 40s, okay, so we think, we believe, we see that UFO activity has occurred over, you know, mainland United States, all over the world, whatever. And... Uh, if you look back through the history of Project Blue Book, which was based within a research and development, United States Air Force or Air Defense Command, United States Air Force at different times, the one agency, there were a couple, uh, a couple, the, two, one main agency and another one that comes in a close second that you would think, that you would think would know, you know, would have dealt massively with the UFO matter was the North American Air Defense Command. North it's been variously based at Ent Air Force Base Colorado, Peterson Air Force Base Colorado, with an operations centre at Cheyenne Mountain for a long time. They're responsible for um, airspace management, air sovereignty issues, air defence across the whole North American continent. In fact, their current fact sheet says that NORAD is, quote, charged with the missions of aerospace warning and aerospace control for North America. Aerospace warning includes the detection, validation and warning of attack against North America by aircraft, missiles, blah, blah, blah. Aerospace control includes air sovereignty and air defence of the airspace of Canada and the United States of America. NORAD now, the other one that comes in a close second, the old Aerospace Defence Command, uh, ADCOM, um, they were also based at Peterson and in Air Force. Now, between these two huge agencies that are mainly run by the United States Air Force, but also directly answerable to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of Defence, the Joint Staff, the Chairman of the Joint Staff, and so on, um, you would think that they would be the premier, prime, all-knowing Entities that really would have a handle in the UFO matter, but over the through the 40s, 50s, 60s, although they didn't exist in the 40s, Air Defence Command did. But um, right up until you know the end of Project Blue Book, they were very mysteriously silent. Um, service reports, which is communication instructions uh, for reporting of vital intelligence sightings, did get. Uh, uh, their premier uh, distribution list. So if a pilot reported a UFO uh, via the service system while in flight, the actual UFO report, like his words, like time, date, where he was, um, description of the object and so on, would go through the nearest uh, air traffic or air defence command and control centre and then on to uh, the commander-in-chief's, the office of the commander-in-chief of NORAD. Um, so we do see through history, we do see NORAD at least receiving information receiving UFO reports, being cc'd into new policy, etc. But oddly, nothing was coming out. All through the 60s, 50s, 70s, whatever, nothing was coming out. And when, when the United States Air Force and the, and the, uh, Department of Defense through a 17th of, um, September, uh, announcement by, uh, Dr. Robert Siemens, who was, um, I think, uh, uh, Secretary of the Air Force at the time, when he said that 
that uh, the, the United States government is not going to be collating or collecting UFO reports anymore, that it is, there's no, no reports, no UFO activity has ever affected national security. Um, there is no place in the United States government to deal with this, uh, even, even within the military. UFOs are myth and fantasy, whatever else. Um, it appears that uh, NORAD uh, were not part of that theory. The, the NORAD continued to... We, we always knew that they were up to their eyeballs in UFO stuff. We just couldn't mm-hmm. prove it. Now, it turns out that we were right, and now we've got the documents. Uh, we've had the documents, a lot of the documents, for a long time, but some are completely new. Some have never been seen. Some I've actually obtained personally, and some have been obtained in the 70s and 80s by researchers, but just never really shared with the UFO community because a lot of people just aren't interested. It's very technical, this stuff. Um, so I'll give you some examples of what NORAD has told the public over the years. Now, um, there was a researcher in um, Philadelphia called Robert Todd, and he uh, he made a general inquiry to um, NORAD's uh, Directorate of Administration um, in uh, November 1975. <coughs> and on the 10th of November, uh, Colonel Terence C. James, who was Director of the Directorate of Administration within NORAD, came back to Robert Todd with a letter, and it was quite long, but it said, one key point is this command has no present activity in investigating UFOs, nor does any area of the United States government that I'm aware of. Now, another letter also to Robert Todd um, said, we do not uh, undertake investigative measures. Our interests are satisfied in near real time and no formal documentation is created by this command. Um, Ten years later, in 1988, um, uh, researcher Armin Victorian actually wrote to the chief of the operations branch um, in the public affairs area at NORAD um, about UFOs and they came back to him and they said thank you for your recent letter requesting information on unidentified flying objects unfortunately we do not recently we have not recently released any information concerning UFOs nor do we keep any information on file um, although we do ha- we do not have any information on UFOs you may wish to write to the following address and they should be of assistance to you and they actually gave him MUFON's address the, the organisation in America which is just extraordinary because mm-hmm. you know Armand Victorian was writing to NORAD to ask him about air defence matters unknown aircraft, UFOs, and they're fobbing him off to a civilian uh, network. Uh, you know, like we, we've seen this in Australia, actually, but too. The problem is with all this is is that is this this is all um, this is all deceitful. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. each of these public statements is, are just entirely deceitful. Um, aside from the fact that service reporting, and I've, as I've said, service reports end up the final di- the final basket of where they end up is the Office of the Commander-in-Chief of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. I have a little um, uh, trivia around the service also that we discovered. Well, Sorry to interrupt your train of thought, but this is just kind of interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. I We've been talking about service. I have been for, for a long time, and so have you. Uh, been looking at those. This is really weird. We're, when we're writing that piece that you are in, where we interview you, the video, our video guy discovered a document that had uh, the pronunciations um, of some of these different acronyms, and they actually uh, suggested "servies" is how you say it. Oh, Isn't really? that weird? I've never heard that. Yeah, neither oh, had I. I, I was so no, shocked. See, I thought I've you would like that, that little piece of trivia. I've- yeah, I've definitely never heard that. Um, I'll send that no, to you. No, never heard that. 
I think, yeah, no, I haven't heard that. That's, that's, um, that would be, that would be for use to, cause what happens, a pilot will say service, 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 or apparently service, service, service. And then all the nearest air defense command centers then get their pen and paper out ready for his report. Wow. Anyway, so, um, Robert Todd and Barry Greenwood and various other researchers in the 70s started pummeling NORAD with, uh, now back then NORAD were, for a while, were actually because now NORAD NORAD uh, will not answer FOR requests. They sorry, they will acknowledge that you sent them, but they don't have to actually furnish you with anything. It's not like you know all your other government departments at all. Mm-hmm. The NORAD NORAD are really unusual. Um, anyway, so researchers in the seventies started pelting NORAD with general correspondence, which is just letters, as well as well as freedom of information requests. And what was really interesting was. Um, uh, as as the years went on, it became apparent that NORAD had all these what were instructions and regulations and manuals uh, actually did deal with UFOs, and it actually says that in the title. It's extraordinary. Okay. All right. So we we had some issues with uh, the Skype, but uh, we've got Paul back on the telephone. And so where you left off was that NORAD had some documents uh, that showed that they were uh, essentially looking at the UFO or research, looking at UFOs. And you said it was even in the title of some of the documents. Yeah, I'm just pulling up a couple of um, in front of me. Um, the the extraordinary thing was, uh, was that when Robert Todd particularly started uh, hitting NORAD and, and, and ADCOM with uh, requests, what he would do, he was very smart, what he would, so all military commands, uh, all military commands uh, have certain types of documents, they're called doctrine, and they're, 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 they can be uh, instructions, regulations, manuals, directives, pamphlets, guidelines, right down to even things like maps, charts, menus, mess hall based food areas, everything. And, um, what was what was odd was that that, that Robert Todd started FOIing both NORAD headquarters and ADCOM headquarters and also the NORAD regions and the ADCOM regions. He was saying he, he would ask, he would he would FOI all of them in say nineteen seventy four, seventy five, I've got all these letters, and ask for all copies, like sorry, like an index or a list of all the uh, doctrine held at that particular NORAD region or at that particular headquarters centre. And they come back to him, and, and even the list, even it's called an index of publications, even the index of publications was considered a regulation. It was a regulation to keep this list current and so on. And what Robert Todd would do is he would go through all these lists and he would um, he would look down to see what was appropriate. And I'm just uh, I'm just finding some of the uh, I'm, I'm just finding some of the the, the, the things that he found even early on. Um, hold on, uh, okay. So <coughs> he would get all these lists, and then what he would do, he would ask he would ask NORAD to then provide him a copy with that, of that list under the FOI Freedom of Information Act. So you know, so say 20th NORAD region or Alaska NORAD region or NORAD headquarters would. The equivalent ADCOM areas would, would send him these lists, these lists of instructions and manuals and regulations. He'd, he'd go down them and he'd, he'd say, "Well, I like to look at this one." So 
also then hit FOI and say, oh, I want a copy of this particular manual or regulation. And then they would be very begrudgingly, it would take six months of back and forth arguing, but they would eventually hand them out. And some of these regulations, there's one here that he got called 20th NORAD Region Regulation Operations 55-7, Unknown Track Slash Unknown Object Reporting. Now, another one was 20th NORAD Region Operation Instruction Possible Unknowns and Unknown Object Actions. Another one, which is really interesting, it was called NORAD ADCOM Manual 55-19 Volume 7, Aerospace Reporting System. And I'll discuss that one particularly in a minute. Another one was NORAD Form 61, Unknown Track Report. Uh, another one was uh, NORAD uh, Directive of Operations Form 17, Unknown Track Report. Both those contain uh, like sections for UFOs to be filled in by uh, aerospace command and control battle stars. Anyway, um, so I'll give an example of the, the, the NORAD, the NORAD uh, ADCOM manual 55-9 is particularly interest, interesting because in section um, 15.4, quite seriously, now remember the United States Air Force and, and the whole wider Department of Defence said, said in 1969 and 1970, we're out of the UFO zone. We don't even use that word anymore. We do not want it. We're only interested in stray aircraft, meteorites, they're going to hit America, um, hostile aircraft, drones, you know, when they come in and so on. However, this 1977 NORAD ADCOM manual on page, uh, on figure 15.4 says, subject and purpose, full stop, then it says, this report example provides the NORAD Combat Operations Centre with additional data concerning tracks classified as unknown to include unidentified flying objects dash UFOs. Now that's really strange because because this this particular manual is is um, is, is all about uh, unknown track reporting. So when a NORAD control centre picks up a weird track uh, like flying through their region, like it might be say the 20th NORAD region at Fort, at Fort Lee, Virginia. There's a weird plane or missile or whatever flying around the, you know, in the Atlantic somewhere. This, the, the, the battle controls will watch it. They'll get a good track on it. They'll, they'll lock on it. They will estimate its height and altitude. They'll look at weather conditions on another screen and stuff. But when they start filling out the forms really quickly, because this could be a threatening aircraft, it could have come off a Russian aircraft carrier or anything. Right, they'll start filling in these forms. Now, like I said, this, this one particular form, it, it says to include unidentified flying objects, dash UFOs. And what's even more interesting is, it actually says that, that this particular form, when it's filled in, it's called figure 15-4, uh, uh, it also says at the bottom that, that it's a mandatory OPREX 3. That means that once this form is filled in, it needs to be sent using the OPREPS free system to the NORAD Combat Operations Centre, the NORAD Commander-in-Chief, uh, the NORAD uh, Missile Warning Centre, the, uh, the um, uh, head of the, some of the MAGCOMs, or head of uh, you know, Pacific Air Force and uh, North Air Force. So not only do we have NORAD manuals saying that they've got an unknown track uh, instruction for dealing with unknown radar tracks, but it also is to include UFOs. But 
this form, once filled out, is sent by a really, really serious Prep three um, channel, like which which is um, is used in only really serious situations, like defence significant situations. And Prep three actually, if you were to you know like use the proper word, it actually is classified. The Joint Chiefs of Staff classified as a serious incident slash serious event. So that's that's really interesting. Now. Um, what else can I give you some examples? Um, well, and the, the problem with that is that they, up until, you know, for so long, had been denying they had anything in regards to UFOs uh, in their files. And this is a uh, – shows that that was just not true. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I've got another one. Um, in another NORAD manual called um, called 55 – it's a 20th NORAD region manual um, – 55-8, which is called, it is actually called um, uh, Possible Unknown unknown Aircraft Special Tracks Unknown Object Actions. It's actually got, on Robert Todd got asked him to release that, that particular manual, that particular regulation. And on page 6, in paragraph 2, it says unknown objects, full stop. The following actions will be accomplished for unknown objects. In a, uh, unknown object reporting will be accomplished using the same procedures for unknown track reporting. NORAD Form 61 will be used even though such observations may not result in track establishment. Entries on NORAD Form 61 will be used where appropriate to standardise the information for review and summary. So that's what, that, what that's saying in English is that, is that whether... Whether their radar systems establish a good radar track or not, that at least in 1978 thereabouts, at least then, is that is that UFOs like unknown objects will be entered into what they call a Form 61, and I've got a copy of Form 61. It's usual blocks, time, date, location, commanding officer, signature, number of objects, and so on. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's just like a UFO pro forma or a UFO form that's it used to be filled in, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Um, and what it's basically saying, what that, what that paragraph that I just read out is saying, that is that even if we don't know anything is up there, we're still going to fill in this form anyway. So that proves to me that at least at, 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 at base level or command and control level, they were they were interested in filling out, you know, forms about UFOs. Now, what's really, really odd is con- now considering that the US Air Force in their so-called fact sheet, the Condon report, the news, press releases, and so on—they've always said UFOs are not a threat to national security, and they—they um, they are not like. Uh, uh, there's no evidence that they're anything but natural objects, and so on. When Robert Todd, Robert Todd found out about these so-called Form 61s, where UFOs were were so so. We, yeah, we've got we've got Opera Three report dealing with UFOs, and then we've got got list also these Form 61s. So. Each NORAD command and control centre around the United States had actually two forms that they could fill in for UFOs. The OPREP 3 form I talked about before and the Form 61 I'm talking about now. Now, Robert Todd asked all the NORAD regions, said, OK, I know full well you've got these Form 61s and these, and these are filled, you know, they, you can use OPREP 3s as well. He said, I want a copy of all the, you know, UFOs, unknown objects, unidentified objects, unusual objects, unusual, very unusual radar tracks and so on. He said, 
allowed in the last, you know, five years. So he, he wrote the 20th Norad region, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th Norad regions and the Alaska Norad region and Norad headquarters. And he, yeah, he said, he said, I want actual copies. I, I, I want to see actual UFO cases that you fill in, photocopies, you know, and sent to me, and I'll pay you FOI money for it. And every single one of them knocked him back. Every single one, every single one of the Norad regions, like Luke Air Force Base, Duluth International Airport, Hancock Airport, whatever, they all said, oh, we're not doing that. No way, we're not giving you our UFO report. They then passed his letters on to NORAD headquarters, and the Director of Administration there, Terry C. James, Colonel, he said, despite the fact that you've, we've been very good, you know, you, we've given you stuff in the past, we're not actually releasing these. So that's saying, and I've got all this in writing, that's the extraordinary thing. I could even... If I can find a way to take the book in front of me, I can actually read it on that. Um, uh, some, I'll see if I can find it. Sometimes they were called checklists. Like the Form 61 was, uh, was called a checklist. And, um, and the, the, yeah, uh, the Norad, Norad headquarters and, and Air Defence Command headquarters eventually said, no, nah, this has been going on too long. Like, we've given you enough information and we don't want to do it anymore. So, um, yeah, pretty extraordinary stuff, isn't it? So, um, and now you've got a lot of this in uh, your website, uh, UFOs Documenting the Evidence Blogspot. Uh, people can look for that, or, of course, if they look at the posting of, of this podcast, I'll have a link to it there. Um, so, for instance, in, in Part 4, people can see uh, this form that you're talking about and okay. the, the part in the manual – um, do you have online those responses to Robert Todd where they said, nope, we're not giving you anything else? Of course. And, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually what I'm posting. See, I've got, I've got two blogs, a, a series of blog, blog reports going at the moment. One's called uh, NORAD on the UFO smokescreen, and the other one's called OPREX 3, a, a secret UFO reporting system. And both right now, obviously, the NORAD blog just deals with nothing but NORAD. But the OPREX 3 blog, uh, just at the moment I'm dealing with NORAD's involvement in something called the 1975 overflights, which I'll discuss in a minute. But yeah, in my next blog, in the OPREC 3 series, I'm going to be presenting the letter that was sent to Robert Todd. So I'll present all these letters. I'm presenting all the correspondence that's so contradictory um, and you know can be often contradictory. And what was interesting is, is that often... What NORAD would tell Robert Todd would be completely different than what um, than what uh, Air Defense, uh, Aerospace Defence Command, ADCOM, which is just down the hallway, that you know that it would often be completely different. So you'd be in a situation where where NORAD's command director or I'm sorry, director of administration would tell Robert Todd one thing about NORAD records, and then um, sorry. It, yeah, both, both both NORAD Director of Administration and ADCOM Director of Administration would be talking to Robert Todd about NORAD records, because ADCOM were allowed to talk about NORAD records. But they would give Todd completely different answers. It was really strange. ADCOM tended to be more, um, uh, what would you call it, more uh, open. In fact, you know, often often Robert Todd would, would write a specific FOI request to NORAD about a specific UFO event, and they wouldn't even answer that he'd write to Aerospace Defence Command, ADCOM, and they would actually answer it. Um, so just an example before, um, very, very early on, those, those forms 
ones I was talking about. There was one, there was one at law outrage, and they actually said, yeah, we will give you copies of our UFO reports that are held on Form 61 from Operant 3, system printouts. Um, but, so they, they actually, they actually wrote that to Robert Todd. They actually wrote to him, um, and said that, responding to him, um, they actually said to him, uh, a determination has been made that the records requested in your letter of 7th of March 1978 are releasable under the FOI Act, blah, blah, blah. Now, all of a sudden, they had a change of heart. Robert Todd gets a letter. Uh, Robert Todd, what he did, he actually appealed the price that they were going to charge an extraordinary amount of money for just a few UFO reports held on Form 61 checklist. Hmm. Anyway, eventually he gets a letter from um, Terence C. Jones, um, Colonel, and it says, your letter is... 1st of May 1978 concerning an appeal for fee waiver, blah, 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 was forwarded to this headquarters by the 21st Law and Air Defence Regent Hancock Field. After review of the case, a determination has been made that the checklist, so that's Form 61, even though you had been previously advised that they were releasable, are in fact exempt from mandatory disclosure. Right? So, 1st, 21st Regent said, yeah, you can have some Form 61 that have been filled out. And then a few months later, the the the, uh, the uh, Colonel Terence C. Jones of headquarters says no, actually, they were decided that they're exempt. So that is quite a big turnaround. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, these, these examples just go on and on and on. Um, yeah, now, uh, well, yep. I was going to say, you know, often they use these terms, unidentified helicopters, unknown helicopters, and they kind of play down um, these uh, these incidents. Um, yeah. Having looked at this and some of these important overflights, I mean, what is your impression? I mean, they've been really dodgy about uh, releasing this information. Why do you feel that is, and do you feel then that um, – uh, these unknowns offer a a much bigger mystery than they're letting on. Yeah, they have to. They must. Because I'll explain what happened. Um, if, for anyone that doesn't know, in 1975, starting in October, Loring Air Force Base in Maine, for four out of three nights, sorry, three out of four nights in a row, the base was overflown by what they called in, in, in actual paperwork, they call them possible helicopters, probable helicopters, unknown helicopters, unknown objects, and UFOs. So, so this, 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 these odd objects or objects stalked Loring Air Force Base, which has nuclear weapons. I think it's got the 42nd Bomb Wing, which was responsible for uh, thermonuclear blasting northern Soviet Union during World War III, if it ever came to that. Now, at the same time, Wordsmith Air Force Base, all the way over in Michigan, they had a really serious UFO encounter. There was definitely one UFO and possibly a second. They were certainly getting radar hits on two. While the KC-135 uh, tanker was landing at Wordsmith Air Force Base, which also has nuclear bombers, um, this weird object, it was, it was described a bit like a helicopter but made no sound, um, it stalked Wordsmith for a full night, and an Operat 3, very serious Operat 3 report was sent to the National Military Command Centre, NORAD, Fort Ritchie Ford Operating Division, um, uh, the various MAGCOMs, uh, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, etc. Now, while this is going on, 
few days later, Maelstrom Air Force Base endures five nights in a row of UFO, some sort, helicopter, probable helicopter, whatever activity. Now, by the end of November, no less than we know from fact that five bases, that's Loring, Worthsmith, Maelstrom, Minor Air Force Base in, I think, North Dakota, South Dakota, one of the two, and Falconbridge Air Force Station, actually, in Ontario, Canada, were all visited by something. Now, at, at the bunker, an anti-UFO debunker would say it was a mixture of actual real helicopters, flight plane helicopters, an FBI helicopter, whatever, plus stars, planets that were just in, in unfortunate alignment, um, and so on. The problem is, is that is that it just doesn't solve the mystery. It doesn't even come close. Mm-hmm. The, the, in the in the 70s, the researchers that I've mentioned before started pounding various agencies with um, FOI requests asking for information about these weird overflights. And all the command posts at each base, plus National Military Command Centre and Air Force Special Investigations, did actually start releasing a lot of material. But when it really, to answer your question, when it really came to the crunch, when the boys, Robert Toth, Barry Greenwood, Toth, Zeckel, Lawrence, Forster, Larry Bryant, etc., when they started hitting, you know, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the National Military Command Center, Commander-in-Chief of NORAD, Commander-in-Chief of Strategic Air Command, when they started saying, look, we've seen, we, you know, you've sent us all the original reports, the telex messages, the opera threes, the staff letters, base alerts, and so on, where are the final reports, where are the final evaluations like the final evaluations of 500 page reports to the, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to the Secretary of the Air Force, to the Commander in Chief of Strategic Air Command, to the Head of Special Projects of FOSI. There was, there was never seen to, there was just nothing but reports and localised reports and weather analysis and everything else. There never seemed to be, they were very, very, very coy in releasing any final evaluations. Now, we do know that two years after the event, so right into 1977, the, the, the uh, Office of Information of the Secretary of the Air Force told Robert Todd in a letter, which I've also got, he, they said, Robert Todd asked him one blunt, blunt question. He said, did the Air Force Intelligence Services investigate these sightings, and if so, what conclusion did they come to? And Colonel Sen came back to him a few weeks later and said, yes, the intelligence services of the United States Air Force investigated these UFO events. No, we have not come to any conclusions. Now, that is extraordinary because, one, mm-hmm. if he's telling the truth, if he's telling the truth, it proves beyond a doubt. I mean, if these 75 overflights were weird helicopters and weird phenomenon and light in the sky and things very close to the ground, possibly landing on nuclear if these things really were all mundane, if they really were just life in the forest, torches, floodlights, planet stars, pollution, whatever, then the full resources of the 8th Air Force, 15th Air Force, Strategic Air Command, Ultimate Strategic Air Command, Headquarters, FOSI, FBI, FAA, Customs even, they, they, I mean, if we can't figure it out now, that there's, you know, like, that there is no way that the full resources of the United States military could not have made some serious uh, evaluations of what went on. Right. That, so that's either that is possible. So if it was all just Monday natural stuff, that balloons and helicopters, then the United States Air Force certainly couldn't figure, out, figure that out. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if it was 
real UFO activity, a week, two weeks of pounding, pulsing UFO activity over the most sensitive military sites in the United States, some of them anyway, then if they, if they were UFOs, then I'm not surprised that the United States military, the government itself, did not actually present any final evaluation, final analysis, final uh, collations of interviews with colonels right down to technical sergeants who are actually there. There was is, there is, there is no final... Now, that tells me that, that, that they really did come to the conclusion that these were anomalous objects. You know, mm-hmm. you can blame unidentified unknown helicopters, whatever, but there is... Either way, NORAD and Strategic Air Command and National Air Command that are really cornered because either they either they really were all natural events and they and they was and they um, but you know you would think that they would be falling over themselves to tell the public that these really were actual natural events you know alignments of planets we can prove that there was a helicopter up there yada 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 whatever right but you would think they would be falling over themselves to tell right. Congress and so you know but they didn't they could I mean General Stratton. Uh, actually, actually, the head of nuclear security matters got involved, and he wrote a letter to Congress, and I think General Blanton, who was uh, who was who was in the Air Force, and said and said, "What is what's going on here? Like, we we know this happened. We know we've got the documents that you've been releasing them to all these people in these UFO researchers. Well, I want to know what's happened. And apparently, we've got the documents. I haven't read them properly yet, but they actually went back to General Stratton and said, "We actually don't know what what it was. We hmm. don't know what." So quite seriously, they did. Not, he even asked. He actually asked for a, for a congressional, not a congressional hearing, but he asked for a, a question to be tabled in Congress over it. It's pretty serious. You know, the Canadians were just as spooked. They had no idea what was going on either, and it was all on their border. Now, I'll give you one example if, 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 of, of what I mean by it. Now, this is how serious it was. Two weeks after, like, like you know. Um, two weeks after these events started over Maelstrom Works, Smith, Minor Air Force Base and so on, the Commander-in-Chief of NORAD sent an urgent telex, telex message to uh, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Commander-in-Chief of Strategic Air Command and so on. And it says it's a, two, it's a two-page telex, which is quite long, but it says up the top subject, suspicious unknown air activity. Then it says part one, since 28th of October 75, numerous reports of suspicious objects have been received at the NORAD CRC. Reliable military personnel at Loring Air Force Base, Maine, Worthington Air Force Base, Melston, blah, 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 uh, have visually sighted suspicious, suspicious objects. Objects at Loring and Worthington were characterised to be helicopters. Missile flight personnel, blah, 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 reported objects. Um, hot finding radars carried objects between uh, nine at half thousand, fifteen thousand feet. Um, there was, was scramblings of F one hundred sixes at Melstrom to to actually get to these UFOs and so on. Now, by the end of this message, Part Five said, "Be assured that this command is doing everything possible to identify and provide solid factual information on these sightings." I have also expressed my concern to the Secretary of the Air Force uh, that we come up soonest with a proposed answer to queries from the press to prevent overreaction by the public to reports by the media uh, that may be blown out of proportion. To date, efforts by air guard helicopters, SAC helicopters and NORAD F-106s have failed to produce positive identification. Mm-hmm. So you've got a commander-in-chief of NORAD who's really starting to get worried that, um, that you know this is very, very real and he wants to try and downplay it. Yeah, fascinating stuff. 
Well, it's funny, too. He's worried that the media will blow it out of proportion. And what is he worried that they'll blow out of proportion? The fact that some sort of craft um, for for several yeah. Right. Over the most sensitive, uh, you know, these nuclear uh, bases uh, that had overflights and they can't identify what they were. Um, first exactly. of all, you know what's real? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, if they were you know really a mundane as, a, as an astronomical, you know, planets, stars or something like that, that would be ridiculous because then all of these people are mistaken, you know, Venus for, for actual craft for many days. That doesn't make any sense. That would make them look very I, foolish. If it was exactly. actual helicopters, that's extremely shocking because that means somebody, some country out there is flying, was able to fly helicopters over uh, on several occasions without uh, any problem. Um, and we would be able to identify that, at least what country did it. And then finally, exactly. of course – if, if it's true, they couldn't identify it at all. That would explain, I think, best, you know, the secrecy in that they just don't want to admit they don't know what the heck it was. Exactly. This is the thing. They really cornered here because because someone that, now when all this blew up, blew up the, the the first person to write a serious appraisal, first people to write a serious appraisal of this whole situation was. Barry Greenwood and Lawrence Fawcett in their book Clear Intent, which came out in 1984, because they were the ones that got all the FOI materials out of all these bases. And, and even Air Force Weather Services, even the FAA and the FBI investigators, like the FBI were contacted by Strategic Air Command Headquarters to say, look, have you got have you got classified or elusive flights flying over our bases? And the FBI said, no, all our helicopters are all accounted for all the time. You know, like Customs and Border Protection were involved because the helicopters were zipping over the border to Canada and back again. Um, you know, like, whatever they were, whether, whether if, if it all really was weird helicopters, the problem is, is that, like you say, I mean, it just proves that, that these ob that these helicopters are operating in United States, sensitive United States Air Force, it's sensitive United States airspace, where, you know, you have to identify yourself. It's called an air identification zone. And these this was happening night after night after night after night. And... And and th this happened with no bar to their operation. I mean, nothing stopped these things. You know, like Colonel Chapman at Loring Air Force Base honestly was about, he was about to order his men to actually shoot one of them down. He was actually said, he said, if this, if it, if this goes on any longer, with, on one particular night, I think it was the 29th of November, he, he, he put out the, he said, just await my order to start shooting. Now, the problem was, is that at this particular night, the object was actually hovering over nuclear igloos, where nuclear bombs are stored on warm alerts for World War III. And, and so you cannot shoot down, if it was a helicopter, you cannot shoot down a helicopter over, you know, over, over, over nuclear <laughs> weapons dumps. I mean, if it was a radiological accident, you'd have an even bigger mystery to explain to the Secretary of the Air Force. So, the, so they pulled the pin on that, and they just did honestly. Now... One of the actual Air Force helicopters that was sent to the other bases, like Loring was experiencing these other flights, so it sent these alerts to all other bases in the region, Griffith Air Force Base, Hancock Field, and Cape Cod, whatever, and it said, one of these, one of the telexes said, is that we've got objects hanging over, hovering over the weapon storage areas that display clear intent. Now, that's an extraordinary word to actually... For a helicopter or a UFO to deliberately hover right over nuclear storage dumps 
um, and the, is that the people watching them actually said this thing's got clear intent. It's not hovering over the grass. It's not hovering wherever it wants to in other spots. It's not, you know, it's specifically hovering for, you know, minute, you know, 10, 20 minutes right over a nuclear weapons igloo. So anyway, the, the boys in 1984 who wrote the book Clear Intent based the book's title, the, the title of the book was based on that word, that extraordinary term in an Air Force Office of Special Investigation um, telling mundane stuff, you know, the odd start seeing a helicopter that's straight off course plus a whole bunch of planets through pollution and whatever else. I would have thought that the full resources of the Air Force, Weather, Central Command, National Military Command, Centre J2, Fort Ritchie Fort Operating Division, Ultimate SAC Headquarters, the 8th Air Force, Office of Special Investigation, um, you know, the INSA, INSA areas, which is uh, editing and debriefing and continuity branch of the Assistant Chief of Intelligence, United States Air Force, and so on, you would think that they would have come up with solutions and been falling over themselves to tell the media and Congress about it, but they didn't. They never could. They never, as the years went on, we, there was no solution to the history. So Boyd was right in What's interesting is that, um, is that Robert Todd, aside from all these other agencies that they, that they, um, that they FOI'd about these events, Robert Todd started hitting Boyd very, very quickly. And, um, and I'll give you one example of a letter they wrote. Why don't you hear this one, right? Now, the boys already had all these documents from Strategic Air Command, and, and we know that NORAD were CC'd on the distribution list of all these Operate 3s and all these base alerts while the UFOs were over the bases. We know that NORAD knew about them from the second they started. Now, Robert Todd wrote a letter to... Um, to uh, the Chief of Communication, Chief Community Relations Division, Donald B. Stevens, Major Major Donald B. Stevens, at NORAD headquarters at Peterson Air Force Base, right? And he said, I want copies of all incoming telexes and base alerts plus logs, you know, command director's logs and so on, of any unidentified flight activity over SAC bases near the Canadian border. Very simple question. I want, like... He, he, he gave dates, like Robert Todd said, said, I want you to check records from the, you know, the 28th of October through to the 10th of November, whatever, for any records of, uh, of unidentified flight activity over two strategic air command bases. He, he, he limited it to just Worth Smith and um, Loring. That's fine. Right, and, and anyway, Major Donald Stevens comes back to him and quite seriously writes this. In response to your letter of the 11th of August 1977 asking about unidentified flight activity over SAC bases near the Canadian border, my check of files show that nothing seems to correlate. And then he fobs it off with this, right? On the 31st of October 1975, there were three unknowns in the records, all of which were later identified. Two small planes in Florida and an Air Canada DC-8 in Canada. Quite seriously, that's what he said. So NORAD knew, knew full well what Robert Todd was talking about, but they fobbed him off with sightings down in Florida and stuff. You know, he Robert Todd hit the roof. Yeah. It's, and with Robert Todd, um, what did he do with all of his information? Okay, that's the million-dollar question. So Robert Todd was the world's most prolific UFO FOI requester in history. He... He was the one that got the hot memo out of Reynolds and Forest fame. He was the one that got the Colonel Betts memo out about Project Moondust. He was the one that, I mean, the ghost of the estimate, the uh, Air 
unusual appearance that was only the United States nineteen forty nine documents. He got he he had he had the the United States government released twenty five thousand pages of records, mostly from the National Archives. Some was real low level stuff, not very interesting. But what he did, Robert Todd was a very private guy. He didn't engage with the UFO community, other than documents researchers like people like me that of the seventies and eighties, like Barry Greenwood, Lawrence Spurston, Todd Sickle, Brad Starks. He would not Robert Todd would not engage with the UFO community because he thought it was just had gone stupid. Contactees and then alien abductions would just start to kick in and ridiculous, outrageous, lurid claims of, you know, UFOs chasing astronauts all over the place and, and he he just personally he didn't want anything to do with it. So he was very, very happy to explain it. He was quite selective in who he gave his documents to. He he what he did the book clear intent that Barry and Lawrence Barry Greenwood Lawrence was about Robert Todd supplied them with heaps and heaps of documents, everything he had that was worth, you know, putting in the book. Then the the infamous newsletter Just Cause, which had fifty six editions, um, he supplied them. That was editor Brad Spark, Larry Bryan, um, Barry Greenwood, and so on. He supplied them with documents as well. But really, for the rest of the UFO community, he wasn't that interested. Um, you know, so what he did was with all his correspondence. So what he would do, he would send a letter to NORAD. He would have a carbon copy on the back of the typewriter, so he'd keep a lot of letter, lost copy for himself. They'd send a letter back to him, so he could just build up a full chronology of everything he sent and everything they sent back. And he piled these things up in Manila folders, like the classic cream Manila folders. And and it's what happened was, like, sadly, Robert Todd died about five years ago. And when he died, researcher Jan Aldrich went to pick up his boxes of stuff, and it filled an entire car, car boots, boots whole car boot, whole back of the car, front seat, the whole lot. So Jan Aldrich uh, drove from Philadelphia to Barry Greenwood's place in Boston, gave Barry Greenwood half of Todd's records, which of course many which Barry had already seen copies of before, and then Jan kept the other half and took him to his place in Connecticut. Now, um, Barry Greenwood right now has all of Robert Todd's records, and slowly, I mean, we are talking thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of stuff from NORAD and ADCOM and even the Army, everywhere. So we're slowly getting that scanned now. So so Barry Greenwood scans that. He sends a, sends PDF copies for me to analyse, deal with, you know, work out what's duplicate, what's junk, work out what's good. And, you know, he's even got envelopes and everything scanned in. So Robert Todd's, Robert Todd's dealings with NORAD were, were um, were, were particularly extraordinary because I mean I could there's no amount of podcast time I could give you to to explain how many different answers and fake answers and false answers. Sometimes they'd be really candid with him and they'd give him exactly what he wanted and sometimes they were they were shocking and then everywhere in between. You know what's really crazy? They actually changed Norad's headquarters actually changed their own rules because of Robert Todd. No but not many people know this. Norad headquarters and the Norad regents got so sick of Robert Todd pulsing them with ever more invasive and, and aggressive echo requests, which they, by law, they really start really have to furnish and with documents. They actually uh, they actually sent out a memo which specifically mentioned um, him by name. Robert Todd was the director of a very small UFO group called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. I'm going to read you a, a memo that went from NORAD headquarters to 
the only Alaska left in the Red Region. The Alaska Region was pretty shocking about all of this is and almost sad and, and what I really appreciate with what you're doing and why you know we've taken it on to to re-review all of this stuff and to put it together is that the UFO field has been wasting its time I mean Robert Todd and some of these others have really been breaking down very meticulously uh, putting the pieces together, not based, not assuming, but with with these documentation able to demonstrate the Air Force is lying. Decades ago, they were able to to prove this that now that NORAD is lying about when it comes to the UFO topic. And here's most of the UFO crowd for for all of this time running around chasing these these theories and mythologies with MJ12 and all this other junk. <laughs> And all while well, right under their nose is this really rich information. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It is absolutely shocking. Like it is, it is really, really, really bad. Because 
these guys, these guys and people like me now have done enormous amounts of very, very hard work, right? And mm-hmm. and and so very few people know it. It's only when they pick up obscure books that they actually know anything about it. And it's and it's really, really sad because the amount of money <coughs> and time that's getting wasted on ridiculous junk and endeavours that never ever go anywhere. You know, ads in newspapers that cost, you know, fifty thousand dollars for alien induction people to come forward and tell their story. That happened in 1994. Um, you know, Bigelow spending un- unknown amounts of money for databases which were already, you know, previously available. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, there, there is no... There is there is no limit. You know, people spending hours and hours and hours outrageously talking garbage on Facebook, having arguments. And, <laughs> you know, all this time could be spent... I'll give you an example of how serious this is, right? Nor... Uh, 23rd NORAD region. Extract. This is this Robert Todd uh, hit hit the uh, the uh, the 23rd NORAD and 23rd uh, Aerospace Def- uh, Defence Command headquarters at Duluth Air Force Base. You know, I think Minnesota in um, in about 1978. And he said he said he wanted from the 1975 oversight. He he basically said, I want copies of your operations senior director's logbook. Any entries or excerpts or, you know, log listings about UFOs for November and October 1975. And they actually did come back to him. How's this? Now, the lock, you were saying, everyone else was running around doing stuff, and yet these people are wasting their own money trying to get these extraordinary records out. This is what this is what the 23rd NORAD region's senior director actually had on file. I'll read this to you. Right? Okay. Received unusual sighting of... So this is uh, 12.05, midnight, 11th November. Mm-hmm. Received unusual sighting report from Falcon Bridge Air Force Station, Ontario, Canada. Info passed to the NORAD Command Director, Intelligence and Weather. Right? So, so if they're not interested in UFOs or unusual sightings, you've got here, received unusual sighting report from Falcon Bridge. Info passed to NORAD Command Director. That's pretty high. Intelligence, that's probably NORAD intelligence, and weather, that would be NORAD weather services. Right, so only a few hours later, hear this. Actions pertaining to the scramble of JLO, JLO-08 and 09, their fighter uh, jets, due to unusual object sighting. With Director of Operations of, of Approval, 22nd Region scrambled JLO-08 and JLO-09 at 17.45 Zulu and air, they were airborne at 17.50. NORAD Combat Operations Centre notified Falcon Bridge Air, Bridge Air Force Station, blah, blah, blah. Um, nor, uh, 22nd uh, uh, air, aircraft uh, over Falcon Bridge flying over incident point, no sighting, blah, blah, blah. So here's confirmation, 22nd NORAD region, and it was actually the New York. I think it was the New York uh, Air National Guard actually sent in fighter bridge, uh, fighter aircraft and self-bridge air force base to Canada to chase UFOs. Now, this is all on the record. It's just written dryly here like it's normal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a day later... Um, so, sorry, uh, uh, I'm trying to find another good one. Um, yeah, a day later, a transmitted unknown report to a Norway Combat Operations Centre surveillance area um, on another incident at Falcon Bridge Air Force Station um, what else have we got here? Uh, oh, here's one. UFO report, so in a couple of days again, 15th of November, UFO report from Falcon Bridge at current time, 0202 Zulu. Report Centre, NORAD Combat Operations Centre Surveillance, referred to the Assistant Command Director, Intelligence, and...
NORAD, NORAD at the Cheyenne Mountain Complex has a missile warning centre and the Space Defence Warning Centre, or the Space Defence Centre. The Space Defence Centre runs something called the SPADITS program, which is the Space Tracking and um, Detection Program. For some reason, the 23rd NORAD region is, is, is referring a UFO report from Falcon Ridge, Canada, to NORAD surveillance, plus the Assistant Command Director of NORAD, plus intelligence at NORAD, and finally, the Space Defence Centre. Now, now, except for a meteorite, why would you be sending a UFO report from another country than Canada to the Space Defence Centre at Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado? Like, this mm-hmm. is really serious. Like, like you know, like this, this is really, really crazy stuff. Um, I, I just cannot see. I mean, you just go, I've got pages of these logs and at the end of every one, unknown object report, blah, 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 blah. Look at what flashing lights went for about two hours, was not aircraft, made a strange turn. And it says at the end, referred to national, uh, to Norad Combat Operations Centre. You know, like there's just pages of these. And, and, yeah. and nobody knows that. It's, it's really sad. I mean, another, another piece of paper I was talking before about uh, Form 61s, which you used to fill out um, UFO, like, like UFO reports at Norad Regional Centres. Well, there's another type of form called a DO5, and it, and I've got an example of a DO, sorry, a DO7. I've got an example of a DO7 from the 26th Norad Regional Luke Air Force Base in, I think, Arizona, near Phoenix, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's right here, it, yep. No, well, from Luke Air Force Base Headquarters, 26th Norad Region, this is a report to be filled when anyone now remember the US government doesn't take UFO reports from civilians after nineteen sixty nine. That's what they say. Yet here we've got a twenty sixth NORAD region form, a one page form. It's actually promulgated on the twenty seventh of October nineteen seventy seven. And it actually says unidentified flying object report. So the person taking the call of the NORAD twenty sixth headquarters has to fill out call of identity, name, address, phone number, call of location, object location, object description, shape, size, object characteristic, noise, light, height, weather, time of duration, blah, 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 blah. So this is for an organisation that is, by, by the very order of, of, the, of, the, of the Secretary of Defence and the Secretary of the Air Force back only not that many years before was not to be dealing with the UFO problem, especially from civilians, Right, here they are. They're, they're able to take calls and fill out pro formas that go onto pages. And, and we're expected to... I mean, no wonder people are suspicious. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. So, and, and that's the problem, and and that you could see here. And I think that you know the the people weren't as open to this, but I think they are more now. Is that you know it's just lies after lies after lies and years and years of lying. So it's hard not to be really suspicious about you know what it is you're lying about and what is why are you lying and um, exactly. In my last blog at the end, I wrote, I think I wrote, what are we expected to think? When we see all these documents, these contradictory documents, these constant use of the word unusual sightings, unusual objects, unusual object report, UFOs, the constant use of those words, every single page has those mm-hmm. words used again and again and again and again, yeah. outrageously used constantly. And yet, and yet the very same people that are using them are writing back to researchers like Robert Todd and Armin Victorian and even people like me saying, we do not handle the UFO matter. That is somewhere else. Yeah. Like, it's just laughable. It's, it's just... And, it's, 
Yeah. I guess getting back, it's just frustrating. Be, uh, one thing, it's you know, and now this thing, the the topic is is you know ridiculed um, for the most part, especially in the nineties yeah. or earlier on. You know, the media really made fun yeah. of it. Uh, they seem to be yeah. warming up a bit, but if. Uh, researchers had been more um, rigorous and let the government through their own records tell the story because they do tell the story in a, in a shocking and startling way and, and in the most important way. If we would have stuck to that, then um, it would have been, I think, much more effective. But, you know, it's not just, okay, some people may say, well, there's some disinformation, and that could be little grains of, of information put out there, but you don't even need that because people in this field, unfortunately, love to speculate and run with their speculation and then go to conferences and, and espouse their speculation, creating these whole belief systems that have, you know, that are, are largely, unfortunately, fantasy uh or at least if they're not fantasy they're they're not substantiated um not like these documents substantiate yeah. all of these incidents and and that's the mess we've gotten ourselves into and but it, and, um, and it, it's so bad that i don't even i i i, I can't believe how i mean people like it, it, most people have to simply assume like that you've got all this great evidence in front of you some you know great data great documents great you know, interviews with, with, with people, uh, people who are actually there. And, and most UFO social researchers and enthusiasts and UFO buffs just want to take it so much further. They will not let, let it just sit where the evidence sits. I mean, I mean, I say to people, if, if you could actually go to court, if this actually got a stay in court, the Supreme Court in D.C., and, and, you, and you said to the judge, look, unidentified objects, definitely unidentifiable objects, UFOs, Stalking American military bases, and Laura knows everything. You know a lot more about what they've said. He would he would look at the evidence, and he would say he would say, "Wow, I'm going to hear this case." But if mm. you went to him and said, "Aliens, space brothers, interdimensional beings, and reptilians are stalking," you know, at the American countryside and 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 and, and military bases, and Laura knows all about it. The judge would say, "I'm not hearing this. There's no there's not enough evidence for it." So he'd he'd say he'd say, "Oh my." You know, I want, I'm not going to waste the court's time on this. Right. It, it has to be that you have to go with what the information is. Is, is the information given in these witness reports and and in um, you know in, in the in these various stuff, telexes and memos, various and it's the CIA as well. The CIA produced piles of discussion papers, point papers, interest pieces. Um, you know, like information updates, uh, draft memoranda, and so on. But that was all pointed to. Yes, we are very aware of the UFO phenomenon. We don't really know what it is. It, 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 it is it is something that bothers the Air Force. It bothers us. But mm -hmm. you never see anything about aliens, or you never see anything about you know, you know, um, tapping every phone in the UFO community or anything like that. I mean, look at the amount of times people ask me and say. Well, people will just blatantly say, oh, so your phone must be tapped, right? And I go, no, I highly doubt it. it, 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 it it's, no, it, it, you know, all pe all people say, so does your mail ever get intercepted? And I say, no. The, you know, like, but the, the level of conspiracy, there is definitely cover-up. Absolutely, without a doubt, there has been lies and cover-up. But for people to come, people to assume that it's a multi-government, multi-generational, multi-billion dollar cover-up, um, you know, spanning... You know, dozens of countries, crash sources, definitely with beings 
on boards and stuff like that. It's 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 just taking the information, the evidence too far. It becomes laughable. It becomes laughable to the government. It comes becomes laughable to law enforcement. It becomes laughable to judges and lawyers. It becomes laughable to pilots' unions, you know, air traffic control unions, uh, organisations dealing with aerospace, and colleges, the university departments, um, embassies. You know, so yeah, it, it, like you say, I mean, we had all this great, we had this great information, we had this great robust sharing of information with seventies and newsletters like Just Cool, and you know, and and. The whole swathes of the UFO community have completely dropped it and said this is miles too boring. It's way too technical, and <laughs> aliens are already here, and they probably live under the water. It's just crazy, right? You know? What can you do? But uh, we have ran long uh, because there's just so much information. But uh, we'll definitely be catching up with you again in the future. Uh, But thank you so much for coming on again and uh, sharing with us. Um, I know it's funny. The connections to Australia always seem to be uh, difficult. But um, it's great that we were able to do this. And uh, we'll definitely point people to the abundance of information that you have on your blog. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got heaps. It's not just about NORAD and Opera 3s and 75 hours. Right. I've got Pol- Vietnam War, usage of the word UFO after the end of, you know, the UFO, uh, Blue Book should have closed down. And UFO reports never made it to Blue Book, the closing of the Zoom's system, Australian radar networks, and uh, what we call uh, contacts of interest that appear on radar screens. I've got piles and piles of stuff. There's a lot more coming out. Yep. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Paul Dean for coming on the show. Um, It's always great to hear from him. I mean, what high energy he has, but uh, it's really important what he's doing. And it is funny that a guy from Australia, you know, has to be the one who is uh, really delving into these American files. And uh, maybe American ufologists should be... um, should be uh, embarrassed by that. No, actually, there are a lot of American ufologists like, you know, Richard Thiem and the guys who worked on that government and UFOs book who are doing this sort of work, uh, and it's really important stuff too. And in fact, coupling that book, UFOs and Government, that Richard Thiem and Robert Powell and and uh, I think Mike Swords and a lot of other people worked on is important because then you can use this information, for instance, to go look back at those files and find like the OP3 reports. Which one of those were did they use OP3 to to escalate? And uh, it demonstrates then that those files were not just a, a normal UFO report, that they were UFO reports that were taken very, very seriously and were shuttled to the upper echelons of the military in a very quick manner um, because they were so important to them. So very important stuff. I can't thank Paul Dean enough for what he is doing and for uh, sharing this information with us. I think that, uh, you know, when we look at the year in review, he's one of the highlights. He's one of the, the high, his work is a highlight to me to, uh, of some of the stuff going on in this field. so And I shared that opinion last night on Coast to Coast AM with George Knapp. 
and uh, George seemed to be interested in Paul Dean's work as well. He should because Paul Dean's doing great stuff. So uh, hats off to Paul Dean. And I'm sure next year in 2017, we will be talking even more about Paul Dean, about his work and what he's finding um, because it's important. Now we have, you know, essentially uh, the Air Force, NORAD, and others caught up in these lies that for some reason their their public statements are we do not investigate UFOs, or at least we haven't since 1969, and we know that just to be false. Their own records say we investigated, you know, or have UFO investigations. And uh, so their own files are telling a different story than they're telling the public. Why? And uh, there's no wonder people are going to have conspiracy theories when the, they're being lied to. They're going to come up with, well, this must be the reason or that must be the reason. Uh, what the real reason is, who knows? Maybe Tom DeLong knows. Um, somebody knows. But uh, whether we'll know uh, is another question. So... We'll continue at Open Minds to follow the stories, and if we begin to figure that out, that would be wonderful, and uh, we'll let you know, uh, of course, on this show and uh, on the website at openmindstv.tv and at the UFO Congress, of course. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, get those. Uh, We did send out mailers. If you're not on our mailing list, you can email us and get on the mailing list. Uh, You could also get on our email mailing list in the upper right-hand corner of openminds.tv or on the right-hand side, essentially. There's a box that you could subscribe. Also, if you go to ufocongress.com and scroll down, there's a really big box there where you can get on the mailing list. And we do uh, do those together, updates for the Congress and openminds.tv together. And you get to see all of the great content that we release uh, on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, I'm proud of, of the information we've been able to get out there. Uh, I think it's really good, important stuff, and I I hope you do, too. And uh, on that note, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you to all of the people who have been on the show uh, this past year. I think we've had some wonderful discussions. I'm very excited about future discussions that we'll have on this podcast. Um, And so uh, it's going to be another great year next year, I think. Of course, I'm very excited about the UFO Congress. I think we're going to have an amazing event with just some really cool people, uh, people we've talked to on this show. You could go to ufocongress.com and look up who these people are and what they do. And uh, uh, if you're a listener of the show and you appreciate the show, I think you're definitely going to appreciate the people that we'll have at the Congress. And if for some reason you can't make it, which would be unfortunate because I would love to see you there. But if you can't make it, you know, over the next few months after the conference, we will be posting those lectures on the video portal, the Open Minds UFO video portal for just a few dollars a month. You can have access to that and you get access to years and years and dozens and dozens of lectures and videos uh, from some of your favorite researchers and people we've talked to. So uh, that's a great deal. I think Uh, it really helps us out because that's one of the few things we charge for. We don't really charge for much. So check that out. Thank you all so much for listening. 
Uh, thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and the closed music. We're hoping that Caleb and his brother Micah will be at the conference as well. Micah is supposed to be manning a table to sell his books. Uh, they're also great guys, great researchers. And hopefully we can have Mi- Micah do another lecture at the 2018 UFO Congress coming up here. But uh, thank you to Caleb Hanks for his Awesome music. I love his music. If you go to the uh, Open Mind GFO Radio website, you'll find a link to more of his music. And then, of course, thank you to Martin Willis for doing the no- the news with us uh, at the top of the show. And thank you all so much for listening. Have a great Christmas. Happy, happy holidays. And we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Adios, muchachos.